Hello and welcome to another episode of the Creative Waffle Podcast. Today, you'll be listening to myself, Mark Hirons, the host of the show, and a very special guest this week, Dixon Baxi. That's Simon Dixon and Apoorva Baxi. These are two people that I've looked up to for a while now. I've actually appreciated their work ever since learning about them in college. They run one of the world's leading design agencies, Dixon Baxi. Some of their clients include Eurosport, Fox, and Channel 4. This chat was just the beginning of some of the questions that I like to ask on this channel, really getting deep into the minds and the psyche of these two designers. I want to do some more studio chats like this as well, so if you want to see uh, more, more videos like this, more in-person chats, uh, I know the sound quality isn't perfect all the way through, but we're working on improving that throughout the episodes. If you do want to see more of these in-person studio chats, please do let me know by leaving a thumbs up or a comment down below. The fact that they took me into their studio and let me film a podcast in the studio with all their latest tech and gear, and their team actually edited this and colour graded this podcast. They've got such a nice team, such nice guys, and Prova and Simon are just incredible people. They've really helped me on my journey. So I really hope you enjoy this chat. We go deep on this one. Please let me know what you think down below. Please leave a review on iTunes if you're listening on iTunes. That really would help the podcast. And why not share it on social media? There's also other ways of helping out the podcast down below in the description of this YouTube video or the uh, the podcast description. And show notes should be up fairly shortly after the episode on the website creativewaffle.club. Let's get into the show. Can we start off with a bit of context about how you two met each other? Yeah, do you want to go with it? I'll start that. Um... I started out as a designer in the north of England and I opened a studio when I was at college and after a little while decided that I should really go to London to figure out being a designer in a great wide world and um, we opened a studio uh, in the mid 90s I guess and what happened was it was very small, it was a provincial company, went to London, um, I met a designer, we hired that person and then a friend of mine said you should chat to this other guy so uh, I met a pover. We hung out a little bit, we chatted about film, we chatted about music, we chatted about life. Didn't even really look at the work. And the next day, uh, we called the person we'd hired and said we'd made a mistake. And we hired Pov, and he and I have been working together ever since. Yeah, that's, uh, how long is that ago? That's uh, 24 years. 24 years, it's, it's a long time, yeah. When did you guys know you wanted to be designers though? When? Yeah, when, like, take it back to the first um, time. You thought, okay, I, I mean, yeah, specifically design, I would say, I didn't realize it was really a profession. Uh, you know, I, I think I'd always been uh, into, into drawing things and so on. So t- typically drawing cars in a specific car, like a Lotus Esprit Turbo, many times over. So that's kind of my other obsession is, is cars. But I, I guess, you know, arcing through school uh, and um, in college, it was really very much around um, art and so on. So kind of design really kind of came to the fore when I went to, to uni. So I went to Middlesex University and, and did a foundation there. And, and in foundations, you tend to try lots of different things. Um, but design and particularly graphic design was the thing that, that drew me the most. Um, so that was you know, probably when I realized that that's really what I was into. Um, you know, I was into kind of a lot of different things, but it just drew me, you know, the sense of craft and and the ideation and so on so you know it was quite late in life I would say you know when I was 19 20 that I thought actually this is something I really want to do much to my parents um, dismay uh, you know the, the, you know in their mind I, I had a career in business or, or something like that and of course I have a career in business it just happens to be in the creative one but um, that that was a challenge you know just 
getting them to understand that um, this is something I'm passionate about. I think you have to be driven by those things. Mine's slightly different. Um, I was home educated, okay. so I had a slightly different entry to education. And when I was younger, I was always into art. So I used to draw a lot. I used to draw comic books. So we used to make comic books and self-publish them. And I've always been into kind of making things. And then when I went to uh, do my um, kind of what we called O-levels, but basically the um, exams you need to do to get into college, I had to do it with adults. So I used to go to night class. So whilst I did that, I did art uh, classes. I got enough, I guess, uh, qualifications to get into art college. And what I did is I tried different things. So I, I thought I'd be a photographer. Then I thought I'd be an illustrator. Then I thought I'd be a printmaker. Then I got into kind of typography and uh, letterpress and design. And then I figured out if I did graphic design, I could probably do all those things. And I liked the blend. So over a kind of two or three year period, I tried quite a lot of different things. And once I got to graphic design, I like the idea of the communication aspect of that, and I, I certainly like the idea of com uh, designing, communicating for real people. So rather than just designing for myself, because I was kind of madly crazy on Swiss typography, it was the very, very late 80s, early 90s, so the British scene of design was full of really great designers like 8VO and Von Oliver and stuff like that. So it was a very inspiring time to get into design. Um, and you suddenly realise, you, as a commercial artist, you could kind of have your cake and eat it. You could have a career in design for real people around the world, but also you could be designing for yourself, and I like that balance. So, so as, a, as a young designer, you, you both travelled the world as well. You've travelled quite mm -hmm. a bit. That's something that I want to try and do, and I'm going 20 at the moment, 21 tomorrow. And wow, congratulations. <laughs> that's exciting. Yeah, uh, so I want to try and yeah, travel the world whilst designing. That's, like, that's the dream for me. Yeah. And you both travelled as young designers. Yeah. How, what was that like, and how did it impact your, your design careers? Um, uh, it, it was amazing. I think um, it's interesting, you know, I, I graduated in 94, which is quite a long time ago. That's when I met Simon. And, um, you know, my first kind of two years or so were in London. You know, so it was kind of a, a rapid rise, as Simon said, you worked for an agency that um, was on a, a really kind of rapid trajectory to scale, uh, do really inspiring work. And it was, I think, when I was 26, I had the first opportunity of, um, of kind of traveling. You know, so we went to Sydney. And so I, so I will fill in the, the story that, that kind of fills that narrative out. But having never lived anywhere else apart from at home, uh, I moved to the other side of the world uh, and, and then proceeded to just absolutely enjoy that. I think, you know, the biggest thing about... Um, working somewhere else is a different perspective. You meet different people, you have an independence that you don't have anywhere else. And I think the, the most exciting thing is just being in an environment that liberates you. So creatively, you get entirely new influences. Um, so being in Sydney, certainly in the sun, uh, being in an entirely new environment um, really just changes how you think about things. And you know, a as a designer, I was still on kind of my formative journey. So there were things that I was just exploring um, that personally inspired me, but by uh, being in Sydney for a while, and then I, I moved to New York, I stayed there for, for two years. That was again formative, being in the heart of Manhattan, um, you know, living and working uh, pretty much 24-7. It's hugely exciting, and, and being in a, a, a place like that, you know, I still often go for, for work and with friends there, but it's just a city that's kind of a maelstrom of energy and excitement you can't fail to be constantly inspired so I'd heartily recommend it to anyone but it was certainly uh, I guess something that helped shape um, certainly who I am and um, it's something that we still 
you know, think is important to our business today. You know, we talk about ourselves being an international um, brand agency based in, in London. Um, and, and travel and meeting people around the world is, is usually influential to how we see things. Yeah, I, um, I moved to London when I was 24. And so I was born in York in the north of England. So that was quite a seismic change. So just coming to London, is it, is that, do you think that's still the thing to do today when you're a young designer? It depends on what you want to do. Um, I started my first design studio when I was at college, when I was 19. So three of us started a company in our last year of, of college. And we used to come down to London to go see the design agencies. And they used to think we were coming for a job, but we were basically just going to meet them to find out what it was like to run a design agency, because we had no idea. So I went to see like Vaughan Oliver and Brodie and um, um, Hegarty and all those people. And they're all very civil. They all let us in. They all thought we were completely weird. Um, but what we figured out was that there's a lot of creative talent in London and it's a hotbed and I, I like the idea of being part of that. Um, and having had an agency for three years be, at a very young age, I felt like I needed to learn. And I've always had that, I, I think, um, in the way I see the world creatively, is I like to learn by doing. I like to learn through experience. So going to London, it was really exciting. And then I went to um, New York when I was 26. I went to San Francisco when I was 28. Uh, so in that period, I went from boy to man. Yeah. And um, we opened a studio in New York w when we were young. And we didn't realize that we shouldn't be doing that. So we turned up there with a smile on our face and a few cardboard boxes and just said we had a design agency and started doing it. And that's when we went from, I guess, provincial to more national design to international design. And we started to cut our teeth on much bigger projects. So working with like Nike and Ford and Microsoft, really huge companies. So the skills that I think we had initially had to be magnified and we had to learn very rapidly about what it meant to design for everybody. And, and that's, it completely blew my mind. It was like, a, you know, it was an experience. Yeah, I was speaking to Lance Wyman about sort of throwing yourself in the deep end. Mm -hmm. and, and that seems to have worked very well for him. Have yeah. you two done something similar where you've just sort of had to learn really quickly? Yeah, I, I think, you know, that is, um, you know, we're kind of... Um, I guess, you know, there's the street smarts of just kind of getting down and, and doing it. And I think, you know, throughout my career and certainly that formative part, it was, um, you know, learning by doing, uh, you know, and, and being thrown in the deep end. So when I arrived in New York, my first week was to um, direct a commercial. Uh, for, I think it was Comedy Central. This is Simon's heard this story many times, but, um, you know, with uh, Jerry Stiller, um, who's... Um, uh, it's Ben Stiller, that's right, I always it's forget. Ben it's Ben Stiller's dad. Um, anyway, from Seinfeld. So, uh, so this is how you learn. You have to go, in this case, I was on set in a massive soundstage, full green screen, um, and, and there's a chap that I have to direct. And having just landed in New York, having seen the script for, you know, maybe a day, uh, not necessarily having done this thing, and then now being put in the position of, of shooting high speed, um, you know, in this particular kind of scenario is, is how we learn. And we did that throughout on all sorts of things. And I think, you know, being in front of Nike or Microsoft or, um, you know, even uh, having a team, you know, at 27, 28, we had a team of 40 people. There were, I was the creative director in, in New York and we had a team of 12 or so creatives. So not only was it, um, you know, being thrown in the deep end of how we tackle creative ideas at a really high level for international brands. It was 
um, you know, and we're still learning now, it's how to work and manage and be part of a team. Um, and I think that's a, a really interesting journey to take, you know, for a creative moving quite rapidly from a position of being um, amongst your fellows, all kind of working really hard 24-7 to make amazing work, to kind of shifting the situation where you get into a position of having to guide and hopefully shape that. That's an interesting kind of position to be in. I don't think it gets talked about that much, the idea of kind of moving up the ranks and how you cope with that as much as um, trying to do amazing work. Um, but yeah, absolutely, I think, you know, and we kind of, you know, do that now even is, um, is help empower people to do, to do their best. And you can do that by giving them things that are outside their comfort zone. So I sort of liken to it to a football club, I'm a big football fan, I sort of liken yeah. it to a football club. If you have someone that at a younger age, younger age and they bring them through the academy, they're going to improve and they're going to get to know the studio and uh, what's going on around them. So do, do you guys bring in interns and people from... Yeah, I think, it's a really, um, I think it's a really vital part of it. Um, obviously, if you run your own studios, you learn everything by doing. Yeah. So you learn the responsibility of having teams and you, you're good and bad at different levels uh, over, the, over the years. We've got an intern program where we have people for a month, you know, pay them, and then they do three months, um, the best of them, and the best of those we hire. And a third of our team came through that program. That's great. And it, it does a number of things. One is it, it does what you say, it solidifies culturally the beliefs of the company. But I also think it really helps the diversity and perspective of the company because as you get more senior in the industry, it, it's much, much, much less diverse. And it's very hard to get a, a blend of people that is um, a perspective of everybody all over the world unless you help facilitate that process. That includes social mobility and, and you know, ethnicity and location, all sorts of different things. So our team is much more enriched by that. Um, about 80% of our work is international, so it makes sense that we're as diverse as possible. And then it's a responsibility. If you bring, bring someone into the industry, you need to pass them on to the next person, hopefully better than uh, you receive them. So there is an education process, and uh, it goes back to what we said before, which is um, if you create a safe space for people to leap and, and do really amazing things, you'll fall down sometimes and make mistakes, but it's in a safe place to make those mistakes, and hopefully, hopefully you'll learn from that. It might have got like a child, like bringing up a child, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's sometimes like that. You know, uh, it is interesting actually because you know uh, a lot of this um, this industry, or certainly you know uh, any company and, and and building a team is about uh, learning how to be empathic, how to create the space for creatives to do amazing amazing things. And that's not just designers. That's um, you know uh, we have people in marketing, we have a strategist, we have production, and so on. So. How do you create a space that empowers them to, to think creatively, to challenge convention, to do things differently? You know, we, we're very much about that. And I think um, you know, that, that empowerment and uh, trusting people to you know, fill, fill that void and, and find who they are and supporting that and spotlighting that is usually, um, I don't know, it's, it's kind of gratifying as much as um, empowering. One of the important things is to learn off the people you bring into yeah. the company. So the longer you get in the tooth and the more experienced you get, um, you, you gain experience. But the only difference between you and the person who joins the company at the beginning is that experience. Everybody can have a great idea. Everybody have, can have a great perspective on the work. So I see it as a reciprocal thing. When somebody joins our company, they bring an energy, a perspective, and new ideas that makes us better, and we grow. 
And we've always had this thing that between the two of us is Dixon Baxi. It's not Dixon and Baxi, it's Dixon Baxi. And the space between is, is far more interesting than the individuals. And now it's a company of 30-some people, and we all share that space. So Dixon Baxi is an entity of different people who think different ways. But together we're going on, uh, I guess, a journey to try and make really amazing work. And everybody that we add makes us better, because we can learn from them and do something amazing, hopefully, from that. That's a nice way of looking at it, because it, it's not, yeah, like you say, it's not just one way. You're not no, no. Um, you mentioned it before about uh, the top industry not being as diverse. Why do, you th why do you think that is? Well, it's access, isn't it? Um, uh, university, location, money, um, lots of different things. Um, the interview process, um, who runs the companies now. So there's lots of different reasons for that. I think um, the creative industry is catching up. I think it's doing a lot, uh, certainly a lot of the bodies are doing a lot of work to really help that process. But we've always been kind of um, just thought, haven't really thought about it in that level. So I think. It's very easy to talk about these things, but I think you can only fix it, fix it through doing. And I think the more open you are to the world, and the more you use creativity to design things that are useful, meaningful, and interesting for people, and you do with that with any type of person, then you can create a space that anyone can um, get into the industry. I mean, if I interview someone, I'll very almost never look at their CV or resume. I'll never do that. I won't ask what university they went to unless it's out of politeness. And often I won't even look at the work. What I'll do is have a conversation with them. And if they're a good person, and they're an interesting person, and they're passionate about what they do, you learn that from them. And the rest of it you can teach. You can teach skills, you can teach technologies, but you can't teach being a good person. You can't teach being into what you do. And that's how, that's how I see it, and it doesn't matter where they came from. That, that's, that's interesting, because, yeah, a, a lot of young designers listen to this podcast, and it has uh, probably some really valuable advice for them um, to, to turn up with the best personality on, you know, they're in yeah. the truth themselves rather than worrying too much about the, obviously worry about the work, but rather than worrying Everyone, I mean, everyone hires people differently. I, I, I don't know how other people do it, but I, I've got a great belief that um, you hire people and interesting people, um, inspiring. And the fact that everyone's got different backgrounds is part of the reason that it's fun to interview people. And I think if you're very natural and yourself and you reflect what you're passionate about in, your, in terms of your creativity, you're much more likely to find a good fit culturally with the agency that you work with because it's a mutual thing. As in, if you're in an interview, you're looking for a, a good place to work. And if you're hiring someone, you're looking for an interesting person to work with. So it's a two-way thing. And I think the more natural both sides are about that, the more likely you are to have a nice time working with each other. Yeah, I think, you know, that if there is some advice, it is to tap into what you're passionate about. And I think, you know, if you are seeing an agency or, or going through that process, then it's really important to know why you're going to that agency. You know, I think, you know, that not necessarily getting into the interview process and how that works, but having an awareness of where you're going and why you're there. And it's not just a random thing that you've, kind of going for. I think that that's really important because it is about chemistry. You know, teams are really teams of people that work together and you could call them a family, a group of friends, but there is a closeness that happens because people work really hard in this industry. And I think um, you're finding that relationship and that's why Simon talks about that level of chemistry. It's usually important regardless of portfolio. I think, you know, the higher up you, you, you get in the, in the world and, and, and so on, the work your experience obviously plays a part in that and we you know work at um, a really high level you know we really aim for world-class work so 
you know, we look for people that, um, that can be part of that. But to be honest, it's not to assimilate in terms of the work purely because we need a different perspective. So it's really exciting to find someone who has the passion, who's really um, you know, into what they do, but brings something new um, on lots of levels. So yeah. it's, it's always interesting and, and people are, uh, you know, they're really exciting and a single person can, can completely amplify you know, what's already a great business. Nice. People watching or listening, that's good, good advice to take on board. Um, so, when you were younger designers, you were coming through, starting your own your own plans. What, what was the what was the thinking process behind starting your own, or starting Dixon Patsy? Why did you want to go out on your own? Well, I've, I've always been doing that, so I, I like it. Yeah. Um, but we, we grew a much bigger agency, so it grew very rapidly from about 20 people to over 200. And that was in a five or six year period. And it, it was five studios all over the world, a crazy amount of work, an amazing life, lots of different things. But there can be a lot of bullshit that comes with the machinations of large companies and the process and the machine that delivers that. Um, so we got to the point where we wanted to almost get back to being creative again, where we were distanced from the creative process. We were distanced from what it meant to be a creative person. So we just thought it'd be nice to start again, simpler. And when we started Dixon Backs, it was just the two of us, and it was just the two of us for quite a few years. And we didn't show any previous work, so we just went to meet people and talked about how we worked. We didn't show work. Um, we did this thing where we took, wrote two lists, one list of things we would do, and one list of things we wouldn't do, which became the mantra for the beginning of the business. And it was about getting back to the things we cared about and be more honest and more direct with our clients and be respectful getting rid of bit bullshit and all the kind of, like I say, the machinations of what it, it, you get from large companies. And it went, it went really well. We uh, really enjoyed the work and we kind of almost reinvented ourselves. And we were, I, well, I was 30 at the time, so relatively far into my career. And then we slowly built Dixon Baxi up, carefully grew it to a, the size it is now. How did you get the, the clients in? Because like, everyone's worried as a designer and everyone's listening, there's everyone's worried how do you get more clients in? Yeah. <laughs> It's an eternal uh, challenge, I think. I think, I mean, w when we began, we, I guess the biggest thing was that we were, um, you know, it's a really exciting time. To start your, your own business is, is that it gives you control. Uh, you know, you can define your destiny. Uh, you can do what you care about. I think the biggest thing is being really clear about what you stand for and why you exist. You know, we were very clear that it would be just two of us and that we were focused on creativity and that we wanted to work at a scale, you know, we just come from working on um, quite large businesses uh, across the world and we wanted to keep that, but also rooted in that was this idea of collaboration that we'd work directly with the clients and, and, and so on. So as, as Simon was saying, you know, a lot of it is around building that relationship. We were just talking about, you know, um, the relationship with, uh, you know, people that we might hire. It's the same with clients. I think, you know, first reaching out to the ones that are the best fit that sometimes comes from knowing someone, uh, from you know, being brave enough to just call someone up, uh, going to a party, meeting someone, you know, whatever that thing is, you have to get in front of the right people. And then there's an opportunity of building that, that story with them. You know, it's not selling because that doesn't work. It's, it's talking about what you, you believe. And then yeah, our first client, we were, we were really lucky to um, uh, work with MTV. Uh, so we kind of had our 
um, beginnings in something that we really cared about, you know, kind of the, the, the kind of crucible of um, music TV and, and everything that goes with that. Um, and we, we had to, we pitched actually on that. It was a, it was a paid pitch. One of our um, kind of mantras was actually not to pitch for free, you know. I mean, we, there's always a conversation around that, but we, yeah, that's a whole other conversation. But okay, to, to kind of get out our first gig, we, um, uh, we, we didn't approach it in the same way. So it, it was a pitch. We didn't see it as that. We saw it as a conversation start. Right? It was an opportunity not to just go in with boards and go, hey, here's our idea. We wanted them to see the world in a different way. So it was actually for um, MTV2, which is kind of um, yeah, rock music uh, kind of focused channel. And it had lost its way. It had become sterile. And we actually went in with um, a painting. Uh, so um, it was a triptych. It was nine foot long. Uh, we, we actually spent days in Simon's uh, second bedroom painting it. Uh, we did have a small studio, but we needed the space. Um, and it was kind of like um, uh, this, this maelstrom of what it's like to be a 16-year-old, right? We were 30-something, 30, 30. So even we had to find out. Um, so we drove around Camden, um, tearing billboards off the wall, finding bits of Walkmans and so on, and literally painted this kind of this kind of worldview of, of what that life is like, infused with language and all of this. So we pile up with um, you know, these massive uh, kind of paintings uh, wrapped in bubble wrap. And <laughs> the client didn't know what to make of it because we, we laid it out uh, and said, you know, here's our picture. And then we proceeded to, to chat about it. We were trying to explain to them that they were all over 30. Right. So yeah. you're saying your target audience is half your age. Mm. So you need to get out of this office and meet people. Yeah. Because if you don't understand your audience, you'll never do a great brand. I mean, I, I think there's, um, there's a lot of conversation about how you get work. How do you get in the industry? Mm. How do you get clients? There's no magic recipe to that. It's just work. Right. You basically go meet people. You talk to them about what you do. And if you keep doing that, and you don't ever stop doing that, and you're polite and respectful, and you show interest, you'll be fine. Okay. But there, is, there isn't a magic bullet. It's, um, I came to London every month for three years and met people just because I wanted to know what's going on in the industry. I used to walk around with letters knocking on doors. Yeah. It's like you contacted us, you've done 130 podcasts. That's because you, you put the effort in to do so. And I think that's the myth is there yeah. isn't a magic bullet to get into this industry. It's, it's a contact sport. You just got to meet people, talk to them, and eventually you'll find a good cultural fit and that's how you get in again. And then just don't stop, just, start, just keep chatting to people and you'll stay in again. Nice. That's good. That's how I'm taking it in my head, trying to get it into my head. So yeah, yeah. That's good. I mean, that's the same thing. I'm, I'm going to America and Creative South, meeting other designers. And Amazing. It's just, that's, that's, it's the most relaxing four days of my life last year. Yeah. Doing it. So going back again this year, it's just hanging out with some, so many cool people. And it's, it's, like you say, just talking to people. Yeah. That's really natural, isn't it? Because if you're enjoying doing that, then it's, it's useful to you, isn't it? It's, you get a benefit from that. But also, you're meeting really interesting people. And you don't know who's going to talk to who about what. Yeah. But yeah. something else comes out of it. And it's always the mm. people who are willing to go somewhere, willing to go the extra mile or extra distance, or are just inquisitive in, in the world, are the ones who are successful. All the people who've been on your podcasts, they're inquisitive about the world. They're interested in make things, they mm. do things. If you're active and you do, and you interact, you'll have a fantastic career. Yeah, you go. Uh, so 
Dixon Maxi Way, I've, I've heard a lot about it. And yeah. you were saying about how you do her approach. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, how you approach different projects. Um, is it Dixon Maxi Way, is that how you approach everything? Every single project? Or? Yeah, it's, um, it's the process that drives how we think. And we're a brand agency. Um, so a brand agency that does a lot of design execution. So we think about the strategies that drive companies. How you translate those strategies into ideas and then execute them as kind of brand change programs, design, and then we implement that, we make it as well. So it's, it's a long process, and most of our projects are comprehensive uh, branding projects. They can take six to 12 months, so they, they take a long time. So the process is a series of methods which help build consensus, gather insights, understand the audience of the brand, understand what the brand does, what makes it different, why it should be interesting for its, its customers, and things like that. And then we, we figure out how to translate that into a design system. So the process allows us to go through that and make sure that we learn from the client, we understand what they're about, understand what their, their, their customer's about, and then we deliver that. And it's, it's flexible, so the system drives chronologically through that process. But each client is different. Um, we work all over the world in lots of different industries, so you have to have the flexibility about how you work creatively. So it's, it's a set of methods rather than a, a fully rigid process. But it's been tested over many, many, many projects to make sure that we track the right moments to really make sure we understand the fundamentals of why we're doing what we're doing, for who we're doing it for, and the end user. And that makes it work better. I think, you know, to, to add to that as well, it's, um, it's an attitude, you know, it's, it's how we do it as much as, you know, what we do. So the methods create a framework, and I think, you know, it helps clients understand, you know, how, how we're going to achieve this, how we're going to move them from here to here. Um, you know, we have a, a scale that we, we talk about, which is one is evolution and 10 is revolution. Uh, we operate between five and 10, so we're really interested in working with businesses and clients that want to move, they want to signal some change. Um, and, and, and these methods, as Simon described, are kind of this um, adaptive system to, to get us there. But it really, it comes down to chemistry, collaboration, and then, you know, we see the whole process as active, it's proactive. It isn't, you know, every meeting that we do is a working session almost, right? So we, we kind of move the game forward rather than we do a meeting, we go away, we come back, we do a meeting. So it's really important for us, certainly at the, the beginning and to be honest, throughout, to be really closely aligned with our clients who essentially become a partner in this. So we're supporting each other to achieve you know, the, the goal or the ambition. And it, to be honest, actually, it roots back to why we started the business, to be close to our clients, to build that relationship. And uh, only with that can you, I guess, hope to make the, the, the greatest work. Um, because you know, the client almost facilitates that to happen. They're creating the space for it. And we have to help guide them. Uh, to make sure that you know, we deliver whatever we are to, to the right audience. So it's, it, is, it is an interesting part of it. So in, like in hindsight, is there anything you do differently starting up your business? I, I don't think so, because you're an amalgamation of all of your life's experiences. And I'm a great believer in looking forward rather than backwards. So um, I like the idea that you're constantly learning and trying to be better at what you do. And I think if you... I like looking back occasionally and going, oh, we did achieve some really nice things and enjoyed the process of doing so, but I'm much more interested in about tomorrow than I am yesterday. So, you know, I, I just don't think about it like that. I think you need to be creating what you want to do next.
Yeah, I'm the same. I think, you know, if we look back, there are things that we've done that um, are just simply part of the journey. I think think the biggest thing is that we're always adapting and changing. You know, there's an impatience to do what's next, um, to... I think we, what we would regret is if we didn't change, if we were in stasis somehow and the world changed around us, but we're not like that. So I, I, I equally wouldn't necessarily change anything. Um, you know, I think what it does is it shapes us. And, I think and if and you're happy as now. well, if you're happy yeah. at what you do. So like, I'm really happy. Yeah. So why wouldn't, I don't need to change that. Because if, if I've taken a path to a place where I'm really happy in life, then it's, being worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. Or if we were veering and we were like, hang on a minute, you know what, we're not quite doing the work that we wanted to do. So we were in a position, I think, you know, um, it's quite, uh, we're in our 18th year, but maybe 10 years ago or, or someone, you know, we decided actually we need, to, we need to change direction. We need to refocus and double down on, you know, uh, creativity and, and those types of things. And we, we um, politely um, let go of some clients you know, move them towards and point them in the, in the direction of other agencies so that they, they weren't left in the lurch. But I think those things are the things that allow us um, or give us control or regaining control. And I think, you know, um, had we not done that, I, I think, you know, those are the things that we might want to change. But we, we've done that throughout. Yeah. So I think it's important to, um, to take stock, to step back and go, well, am I happy? Am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the thing that I love? If not, how are we going to change it? And, and proactively go after that next thing. What do you guys think of other agencies? Do you, are you like really competitive or...? I mean, yeah, definitely competitive. Yeah. But on, I'm competitive about um, being better because I think there's room for everybody in the industry. So I think um, you come across lots of agencies and if you've worked long enough, agencies come and go. Right. Um, I think there's plenty of room for everybody. Uh, and I think creativity isn't a competitive sport in a true sense. It's, it, yes, you do come across people, but I think what you're competing with is, are you doing the type of work you want to do? Are you working with the type of clients you want to work with? Are you delivering on what you have in your mind? I, I'm, a, I'm like you, it's, um, it's like football. Um, so I think about it, I like, I'd like to play in the Champions League. Yeah. And but if you're Barcelona and you're playing Barcelona style, you don't care about AC Milan style. You play your style. Right. But I still love watching lots of different types of football teams. But I believe that what we do is what we do. And I'm really happy doing that. And whenever we talk about great work, it's always the metric of our pride in the work, not anything else, not awards, not other stuff. I think when you think about creativity, it's about personal validation and whether or not you really believe and love your work. And I think that's the metric. And that's why, that's why I'm happy, because I enjoy the work that we do. That's, that's fantastic to hear from, from about people that are right at the top, so it's, it's great. And that's a relative thing, because yeah. when you're sat here, I don't know where anywhere near the top, because we're just like you, we see other agencies and other people's work. But it's, it's, again, all it is is experience. We're just slightly longer in the tooth, I think. Yeah, I always compare, compare um, well, in social media, grow up with social media all the time. Mm. I try to, I'm trying to get off that path of not comparing myself to other designers and other people's yeah. work. And I, at the moment, I'm trying to see it as cheaper on different ladders. Yeah. So um, people got longer ladders, and people further down their ladder than. That's very philosophical. I think yeah. I think it's quite nice to think like that. I think there is. Um, thing is right. Everyone sees everything instantly, and um, you go on Behance or any kind of platform. There's the world is built around comparison. 
you know, that person, the grass is greener over there, that person's doing that, why haven't I done that? But you don't know what's happening behind the scenes. And, and I think, you know, sticking to your lane and focusing on what you do is the most important thing because all of that other stuff is distraction. And it will either make you sad or upset or um, not help necessarily push you forward. Sometimes it can. I think the competitive spirit. Yeah, um, uh, absolutely, if you see it positively. Win the <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I, I think that's that's a big part of it. But it's 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 quite a nice way of doing that. But it's easy to forget. Uh, you know, you can get swamped with wow. Look at look at this thing over here. Look look at that. The, thing the over other there. thing as well is if you're looking everywhere else. Yeah. You're not concentrating on what makes you great. Absolutely. And it's very easy to get good in this industry. Mm. There's lots of tools and techniques. You can see everything. Mm. You know what everyone's doing. And to get here is pretty easy. And then the systems that it's delivered on, the Instagrams of Behance, makes everything look fantastic. But when you really look and you look really close, a lot of the work isn't that good. So getting from good to great is really, really hard. Yeah. And you can't get from good to great unless you do it on your own terms. You have to think creatively, intellectually, and spiritually about what the type of work you like to make and do that. And what other people do on their ladders is great. There's plenty of room for loads of ladders. But if you're looking over here and over here, it, it, it's, um, lots of people worry about, um, say, the title that they have. It's completely absurd. Yeah. It's just experience. You've just been working a bit longer. And if you're doing work that you love, who cares what anyone else is doing? You can enjoy vicariously their work, yeah. but you shouldn't be worrying you're not doing it because it's not your work. You're not the same people. Do you guys worry about what people say uh, about your work? No. Um, I, I don't. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I don't. But I think, you know, when we, when we think about the team, we, you know, there's us two here, but we have 30 people. They're all on different trajectories, on different ladders. Yeah. We're going to use that term now. <laughs> um, so I, I, think, I think yes and no. You know, so it's, it's not as clear cut. I think we, we might not because we've been through it. But... Equally, we, we do care, um, on the one hand, primarily about the audience that we serve, so our clients. Uh, we do really, I think, care what they think. Uh, and uh, the audience they serve, right? So, you know, has it done, are they excited about it? Because we're not creating work for the sake of it. We're not creating a varnish. We're not creating beautiful work because it just looks beautiful. It has to do something. So if there were reviews about the, the if efficacy or the, the, the performance of the work that we create, you know, um, yeah, I think we would want to want to know about that, and we want to improve it and develop it, and so on. I think when we get into kind of peer review and so on, uh, you know, the guys are always excited when it pops up on a, a particular blog to see see what happens. But I think they they take it with the spirit that it's fun. It's kind of jesting and jousting, and of course, you know, you can get trolls and all sorts. But that, that is something that uh, we just don't get involved in. To be honest, we're, at, we're in a different plane. Um, so it, from that instance, no, it, we don't care. I think, um, you know, we've entered a, a few awards lately and so on. And of course, for the team, absolutely gratifying to, to get those because it's, a, um, it's outside of these four walls. And I think, you know, if others deem the work to be transformative or has, has an effect, um, it, it kind of helps give context to why we're doing it. We have our own beliefs, our own values, our own why. But I think from that point of view, um, it's quite powerful. But we really don't get caught up in the negativity. And there yeah, can be a too, lot of There's way that. too much negativity. Yeah. There's way too much negativity. This, it's very easy to pull things down out of context. So what happens is someone sticks a piece of work up and then you get two, two disparate perspectives. 
And difference now isn't celebrated, it's separated. And historically, difference is a really positive thing. The things that tr people try new things. And your work is, your career is a body of work. It's like looking at a filmmaker like Kubrick and saying, I don't like that film, I don't like that film, I don't like that film. It doesn't work like that. You look at the body of work because Kubrick is learning in his creative journey. Mm. And if he doesn't make mistakes and express himself different ways, you don't get that body of work, which is really rewarding on a creative level. And we obviously operate in a completely different world because we're in, in the commercial, uh, commercial environment. But it's the same principle, which is you're striving to create great work over a period of time. And if you just look at tiny bits of work out of context and pick on logos and pick on colours, it's completely absurd. It makes no sense because you're not the end user. We don't design, design for the 12,000 people in Shoreditch. We design for people all over the world and hundreds of millions of them. There's someone in Mexico and Uruguay and South Carolina. That's who we design for. They're not online looking at the colours. They're, they're on the phone using it. And that's who we design for. So we don't care about negative reviews because they're absurd. Not that we get many, to be honest. <laughs> so, so what are the licks and backs of values? We talked, you talked about it earlier. What, what's your company founded on? Um, it's founded on um, trying to use creativity to improve things. So we like the idea that creativity um, makes the world a better place. And certainly in the kind of communications and design systems that we create. Um, we care about doing it together. So we care about uh, teamwork and togetherness. We think that's really important. We care about diversity, as we said. Um, we care about being brave. Uh, we like to take risks. Um, I think it's important if you want to keep going, growing creatively to keep pushing yourself. And again, just for us, not for anyone else. Um, so that, that kind of sense of uh, restless creativity, creativity and pushing ourselves, I think is really important. And in collaboration with the clients as well. So, you know, it, it, it's how we work with them that's really important. Um, and really, they're the basic things that kind of swirl around whenever we think about our values. There's lots of other things that kind of go into that. Um, but it's about the type of work you want to make and how you want to do that with other people and the fact that you want to keep learning and pushing and pushing and pushing. And that's kind of part of the reason that I feel happy is that I feel like we're testing ourselves all the time and trying to stretch and grow as people. Do you, do you ever feel like you can reach a limit of, you know, you've worked with the biggest companies or, or do you think they'll just come up with new projects? What are your problems? Oh, we won't run out of companies for yeah. sure. There's plenty of them yeah. and they've been invented. When we started Dix and Baxi, there was no Amazon. There's no yeah. Google. There were no iPhones. No, it's that long ago. <laughs> so if we stand again long enough, the world will change. Things. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's loads of exciting things, and I think, you know, um, a lot of our projects uh, tend to look forwards. Um, you know, we're working on a project at the moment that has got um, a kind of 10-year arc. We're thinking about what happens you know, now, and then in five years, and then in 10 years. And um, it, it's really interesting to help shape a brand that, that does that? How do you build a brand when we don't even know what five years is going to look like? You know, how, how is the world going to change? You know, uh, society, culture, people's jobs, all of those things. So what we're trying to do, I guess, is create the framework for it to change or an idea big enough that it allows people to change underneath that idea. There's, there's you know, a, a lot of branding, of course, is about building um, a why we exist, you know, a purpose and, and, and that type of thing. But I think, you know, one of the, the, the values we hold dear is, is the idea of looking forwards, of making a difference. And, and it's, it's really interesting that. And, and we, we get approached by businesses 
for that reason, to figure out how they um, you know, jump into the future and how they, um, how they move forward. So I think you know, there, there will always be a project because there will always be a future to jump into. And so we, we want to stay in that, in that space, which is super exciting. And a lot of um, how we think about it is how we curate our relationships with companies. So we don't just look for brands, we look for interesting people in those companies because that's what facilitates the best work. So you can, you know, it'd be great to work with NASA and I'd, we've not worked with Apple yet. Um, so, you know, it'd be great to work with those companies. But also there's people inside those companies that facilitate really interesting work. So often we look at it like that and we'd rather curate like-minded people and, and, and projects which we are suitable for things that, um, I don't mean that in an arrogant way, I mean that in the sense of um, we're good at some things, so it makes sense to find the companies that need that. And, um, you know, recently we started working with Netflix and uh, some other companies, and that was really interesting because you would say that's a nice take to work with yeah. a company like that because it's really exciting. And um, I look back at the brands that we work with in the last, let's just say the last five years, and, you know, we're very lucky to, you know, when you see an agency has like a logo board, of all the logos yeah. of the clients they work on. Our logo board's pretty nice, yeah. it's pretty cool, and some of them obviously logos we've created. But going forward, as Paul says, there's always gonna be, uh, I think, a need for good communicators. And uh, the industry, I don't think it's been uh, both a worse and a better time to be in the industry. There's a lot of negatives to how technology is affecting people and brands and the way people communicate, some of which we've just touched on. You know, who knew that Trump would be in power and Brexit would be happening five years ago? So you have to kind of sail through that. But there's never been a better time to communicate to people. There's never been a better time to get on the front foot and try and make the world a better place. So you just have to kind of, like I say, keep going back to the well and trying to do interesting work with interesting companies. And that's rewarding. Do you think that, um, especially a clear message as well, if, if you're creating a clear message for a company, it sort of stands out these days because it's a lot of noise and a lot of stuff on social media. You just you just sort of see, just everything goes as a bit of a blur. Mm. If, you, if you're creating something that people recognise and actually yeah, if they understand the business of, it's sort of. Well, it's how meaningful it is to your life. Right. So you you interact with brands based on the things that are valuable to you. So um, you might use Uber because uh, you want that type of transport. If its service isn't that good, you won't use it. So of course. Campaigns and social media are great at building aggregation and awareness and building brand fame. But that's not why you pick a brand. You pick a brand which does something useful for you. And it's, how it, it's part of your, how you validate yourself as a person. The type of trainers you choose to wear, this technology that you use, they're all decisions that you're making. And you're making them on what the business does for you, whether it's a service or a product, not necessarily in how they're marketing to you. Um, and we, we're in the business of uh, communications, not campaigns. So our job is to create the design systems and services that connect you to these devices and to their services and to their content, as opposed to campaigns and, and, and advertising. And I think that's a, a, a really interesting challenge because you're not trying to necessarily cut through on um, social media. You're trying to create a design experience that you would enjoy to access the thing you want. I have to listen back to this podcast. There's a lot of stuff going on in my head. <laughs> uh, I can't wait to listen to it as well. Yeah, uh, the, I was going to say, what, okay, the last couple of questions I ask everyone. Uh, first of all, what's your best purchase under £100? Best purchase <laughs> under £100. Um, I've got an answer for mine. Go on then. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> um, I think. 
Yeah, I, um, when I proposed to my wife, um, I didn't have a ring. And the next day I went to a small jeweler's and I spent 80 pounds on a temporary ring oh. before I got the main ring. So I, that, that's the best 80 quid I've ever spent. Wow, uh, I don't have something so romantic. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, I was going to say, uh, God, uh, for under £100. Um, you see, I'm kind of madly into video games and so on. So uh, to be honest, actually, it tends to be things related to nostalgia. I wouldn't say it's the necessarily the best thing, but I've just, um, I just re-bought some toy, a toy that I had when I was like seven <laughs> on eBay. <laughs> Uh, it's this thing called the Starbird, right? So it's this kind of little spaceship that when you, um, you point up, it, it kind of has an accelerative sound and when you point down. Anyway, it's rather randomly, these are the influences that inspire, have inspired me. So it's kind of sci-fi. Um, it, it's kind of, you know, the, the idea of, of play and so on. So, I, I, you know, just as a side note, into video games and that type of stuff. So um, those are the things that really interest because it's almost like tapping into nostalgia that kind of reminds me or, or kind of memories that root back to kind of why I've kind of gone on this trajectory. Um, so, yeah, rather randomly, something like that. Because you mentioned earlier that you were, you were very much looking forward. Um, but yeah. but it's, it's comforting to have those things looking, those things from your childhood. Like sure. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. And the World Cup, I mean, my dad still, <laughs> still do them because it's, because yeah, yeah. well, one, you can spend your money on anything. Yeah. yeah. As an adult, but um, two, yeah, it's just that nostalgia of having something that you've got around the World Cup and I think it feels like you're a bit more connected. Yeah. Well, it's a memory, isn't it? Yeah. And it's also a shared experience because the fact you're doing it with your father, yeah. it's a memory that's locked into your life and it's something that's valuable to you. I mean, I've got um, a shelf full of books at home. And I've read pretty much all of them, and I keep them because I, I like the memory of when I read the book or yeah. the person that recommended it to me or something like that. And I like the object because of that. It, it kind of it represents a tiny moment in time, and I, I like that feeling. So there is something quite evocative about that, I think. I mean, it's entirely related to what we do. You know, it's the, to find that provenance, the authenticity that makes you you uh, is really interesting, and that, that's a story that people are drawn to. Right, rather than just something that's stuck on. So those things kind of make it more endearing or actually I'm really interested in that or find a niche that you know, I, I, I want to know, you know. So some of the choices that I make, whether it's a, a watch or a car or a, any, any of those things, they're sometimes rooted in, in a story and a history and those things give it a value that may outweigh you know, the, the price of it. It's kind of a, you know, it's part of a, a greater story and I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I always, the story sort of thing, I always try and ask for like, tickets to events or, or, mm. or going away somewhere rather than, rather than monetary things. Because like, it, yeah. it's, it's a memory, it's a story. Yeah. Uh, so what are some good values to live by? I think we've talked a lot about values already, but if, you, if you've got any personal values to live by. Um, you know what, I think it's just being genuine. You know, you've you, you got to be a nice person. I think you have to be empathic. Um, no ego, uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, uh, it, I, I think, oh, I didn't you know. mean to laugh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think. <laughs> um, 
no, no, no. no. It's no. just um, our names on the door, so inherently. Yeah, you know the, the irony is that the the names are on the door. So, um, but uh, look, I think I think that, that being genuine is is critical. You know, you have to be just a really nice person. You know, um, and, and you can, you can kind of sense that, and and empathic to others. I think of respect. All of those kind of classic values uh, are really important. I think personally for me, it's it's one of um, there's also a kind of constant drive of, of learning, of, of trying the next thing. You know, I don't think it's a, um, necessarily seen as a positive, but sometimes there's this, the, the idea of being restless. It, it can be a good thing, right? It kind of um, adapts you, the idea of change and, and wanting to learn is, uh, and being curious, I think, are super valuable. I'm, um, outside of work, I'm very private. So... In, in work, I think um, being humble, being open, um, being receptive and diverse to thinking, I think is really important. Mm. Um, doing things on your own terms, because people tell you all sorts of different things and there's thousands of ways of being a creative person. And I think you've got to work the way you want to work and you've, you've got to create what you want to work. Um, don't do anything just for money, I would say. I would do, do it for other reasons than that. Um, and have a kind of personal self-determination of what you like to achieve and that's fine for that to change but, but go for the thing that matters to you and if you do that in a kind of a humble and a kind of open and a collaborative way I think you'll have a good career. Nice, nice one. Uh, and the last question I'll ask everyone is how do you want to be remembered? Wow. I don't care. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah, I think, you know, that, that really comes down to, I think rather than professionally, it's just personally, you know, it's family and friends, it's someone that has been loved uh, and, and, you know, you, you have that kind of sense of warmth and, and respect. So um, I think, you know, career-wise, I don't think, uh, you know, of a legacy uh, and that I'm laying down something, it would be great to be remembered for um, doing great work, making a difference that type of thing, but it's not, it's not um, something that drives me. The, the idea of laying a legacy f that in a hundred years time, you know, my name appears in <laughs> books and so on. Uh, you know, that's not what drives me. If it happens, then, you know, maybe we've done something good in the world. Mm. This podcast is going to be like, you know, the, the golden tapes, listen up to space. Oh yeah. yeah. Amazing. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah, maybe one day. See, that would be a great legacy. Uh, you know, to get a podcast. I think it's weird, a weird legacy because I, I don't think it really works. I think what it's about is what you're doing in the moment and whether or not you're enjoying yourself and it, whether or not the people you're working with are enjoying themselves. And the other thing is, uh, despite having a grey beard, I'm far too young to think about <laughs> legacy. That's a terrifying prospect. <laughs> right, yeah. well, that's it. Thank you very much for the podcast. Thanks so Thank much. You. Really enjoyable. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Creative Waffle podcast. As I mentioned before, you can really help out the show by leaving a review, leaving a thumbs up, subscribing to the YouTube channel. We're now at 1,000 subscribers. Whee! Uh, but yeah, thank you very much for listening. It really does mean a lot to me um, as, on the, as I'm on this journey to get this uh, becoming my full-time thing. Ways to help out the podcast if you do want to help out a bit further, uh, please just share it around on social media, get the word out there, take a screenshot, tag us at social, uh, uh, tag us and <laughs> tag us on social media at Creative Waffle. 
There's also some t-shirts left. You've got 10 limited edition shirts left. Um, you can go over to the Creative Waffle website. It's creativewaffle.club shop. Check out the t-shirt. I designed that this year. Uh, this month's t-shirt. It's t-shirt of the quarter, really. Um, but yeah, that's my t-shirt I've designed for the podcast. Help out the show as well. If you want to grab one of those, that would really help out. Um, there's also Patreon. There's also other ways of supporting the podcast down below. But anyway, that's enough of me. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, it really does mean a lot to me. I'll see you next week for another episode of the Creative Waffle Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>